Um, for those that I haven't met before, uh, my name is Ansley, and I'm one of the board members here at the Chapel Sydney. Uh, you know, obviously, as you know, I, I'm usually the one at the back making a lot of noises, but um, today I have the privilege to stand here and share a word of God with you. Um, you know, I, I believe there is power in God's word, and it is alive. So I pray as we engage in God's work together this morning, that um, we'll be challenged to love him more and live more like Jesus every day. Amen. So um, a bit about myself. I uh, work in risk management. I know it doesn't sound very sexy at all. But for those that are still a bit confused, um, risk management is very different to accounting, all right? I'm not an accountant. Um, not, not, not saying that there's anything wrong with an accountant, but I'm just not smart enough to be an accountant. So, you know, what I do a lot in work is I ask a lot of questions. You know, I, I like to find things out to dig a little bit more into things. So I, you know, ask questions like, can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? Um, you know, I would love to hear more about what you just said. And sometimes to validate or reconfirm what I've heard, I'd say, you know, okay, so just to make sure I understand you, what I'm hearing is that X, Y, Z. You know, I love doing it because the way I see it is that the more that I understand what people think, the better I engage with people. But what I'm finding is that this doesn't always necessarily work with my spouse, <laughs> right? You know, I got married last year um, to my beautiful wife, Eileen. Um, maybe we'll have a photo up there. And you can see I'm a huge Man United supporter. You know, um, I'm blessed. Um, I can definitely say that Eileen is definitely the better half of us. Definitely. Um, you know, I, you know, since we got married, Eileen always seemed to ask me or say this to me. Why do you ask so many questions? <laughs> You're so annoying, you know. In that exact, exact way, annoying. Now, one time we were in an argument and our arguments tend to start off with Eileen not being happy about me, about something. You know, there are two things in life that people say are certainties. One is death. Second one is paying taxes. But I'll add a third one, which is the wife is always right. Right? I'm learning, I'm learning. Um, I'm not sure whether you guys know, but you know the song, Taylor Swift song? It's me, I, I'm the problem, it's me. Right? Um, I've learned this from Albert and, and Andy last week, so it's been stuck in my mind for a while, but I think it fits in exactly what I'm trying to say here. So in my mind, you know, I was, I was thinking hard, I was strategizing, I was analyzing in my mind, what is the root cause of the problem that we're arguing over? And so I said to Eileen, and by the way, you know, she was still angry and mad. I said to her, so can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? I would love to hear more about what you just said. You know, and as if it wasn't bad enough, I said, okay, so just to make sure I understand what you mean, what I'm hearing is that X, Y, Z. And you can imagine how it all went. I can tell you that this doesn't always work in marriage. I've tried it and Eileen can tell you all about it. I think all she wanted was just a simple hug and for me to say, Honey, I hear you, I love you, and I'm sorry. Not to rationalize her emotions left by center. But I don't think men can even do that anyway, right? 
But um, or maybe I just sing Taylor's song to her. Yeah, <laughs> learn the whole song. Um, but I promise you, th- this is not a memoir of Ansley Chan's first year of married life. There's a point to this. You know, one of the best advice that Eileen and I have received before going to marriage is that it is not about one big decision that you make on your wedding day when you exchange your vows in front of God, in front of everyone around you. But instead, it is that you're committed to making this same decision every single day till death do us apart. Now, I want you to take a mental note of this, and I'll come back to it later in my sermon. So today, we are wrapping up our four-week series in Philippians by going through the final chapter, chapter four. And, you know, for the past three weeks, we have been on this journey um, of reading this incredibly warm and deeply personal letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Philippi. And just to jot your memory, um, the Church of Philippi was one of the earliest churches that Paul established in what we know today as the modern Greece. And if you remember, Pastor James and A.B. have emphasized a lot about the context behind, um, you know, this letter, which is that Paul was in Roman prison when he was writing this. And what's so incredible about this letter is that even though Paul was in prison, he was able to write this letter, which was full of joy, hope, love, and perhaps most importantly, encouragement to the Church of Philippi, which really begs the question, why was he able to do that? So to briefly recount what we've talked about for those that weren't here for the past three weeks, um, I'd like to just briefly go through uh, the previous three chapters and the main points that Pastor James and, and A.B. spoke about. So in chapter one, the Pastor James spoke about how Paul was encouraging the church of Philippi to always cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. Um, the amazing thing is Paul was literally living this out by showing us that even though he was in prison, he was thankful. But why? Because it is through his imprisonment that those around him, the guards, were able to learn about Christ. Now, I think if there's ever an example of what it means to be thankful in life's harsher circumstances, I think Paul's example here is, is it? And chapter two, you know, Pastor James talked about living our lives in humility. And the only way to true humility is by looking at Jesus and model of how Jesus lived his life while he was on earth. You know, Jesus did not take equality with God as something that he had to show, even though he had every right to. But rather, he made himself a servant, taking the form, you know, making him nothing. Now, This is true humility. And last week, you know, A.B. talked about how Paul is encouraging us to continue to press on towards the ultimate goal, which is to live like Jesus and for Jesus. Because we know that one day, when we finish running our race on earth, we have something far, far more glorious to look forward to, and that is eternity without God in heaven. So with all this in mind, um, we come to chapter 4, the final chapter. So let's go ahead and open our Bible. Um, If you have the app in your phone, feel free to open that up or, you know, read on the screen that we have. So I want to focus today's 
passage specifically on verses 4 to 13. So here it goes. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that, I, now that at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen. So as we were reading this passage just then, I, I think we can sort of see where Paul is pointing his message towards. And that is the idea of contentment. Now, I know contentment, the word is seemingly so simple, but I think it's a hard word to really define and even harder to live it out in the way that God wants us to. You know, when, I remember when I was um, starting my first day at work, full-time work, many, many years ago, and sadly to say that was many, many years ago, um, you know, I was wearing to go. I, I wanted to take all the opportunities that I had in front of me. I want to excel. I want to strive. Somehow stepping into full-time work, you know, made me feel a lot more mature, even though maybe Ali would disagree with that. But... Um, but I had this struggle. In the Bible, you know, there are many, many instances in the Bible that also talks about God's desire for contentment in our lives, such as Psalm 23, you know, where King David compares his relationship with God with that of a contented sheep being around and under its loving father, which is the shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, a well-known verse that many of you may know. So again, we can see there's a common theme across the Bible in that we are called to be content with what God gives us. So I was feeling this tension in my heart. You know, the little Ansley on the left is like, but if God is teaching us to be content with what he gives me, but then if I work hard and strive for more than what I currently have, am I not being content and therefore disobeying God? If God is in control, and this is what we accept as Christians, right? Shouldn't I just accept what he gives me? And therefore, whether I strive or to work hard, you know, it doesn't really matter. But then, you know, the little Ansley on my right shoulder is also saying, 
If I don't strive and work hard, then am I just being lazy and complacent? Surely that can't be what God wants from us as well. So while, you know, while these thoughts in my mind were in the context of career or work, I think we can really easily apply these to any areas of our life, whatever it is that we're striving for. So how should we reconcile this tension? You know, it, it is Paul that preaches and teaches this idea of contentment. So I was thinking, where best then to start, you know, to understand a little bit more about Paul's life? And hopefully that would give us some clues as to what he really meant by it. Um, so Apostle Paul, as many of you may know, wasn't always a Christian in a sense of following Christ. He used to hate and persecute Christians until the day he was transformed. And since that day onwards, he traveled extensively declaring the message of Jesus. And, you know, today he's known to be one of the forefathers of the modern-day church that we have today. In a Paul's incredible journey and story is all detailed in the book of Acts, which um, I won't go through today. But I really do encourage you to have a read of it if you haven't done so before. But I do want to share a few very key insights you know, about Paul um, using this map that I doodled on or I developed, you know. So, you know, Paul was born in Tarsus, which is on the right bottom corner with the baby icon there, you know. So that's in modern-day Turkey, Tarsus. Now, here's a map that shows all the areas within the Mediterranean area that Paul's missionary journeys touched on. Some of the notable cities that we would have heard of, uh, which some of the books are based on in the Bible, were, um, you know, Ephesus, uh, Philippi, okay, let me get this right, Thessaloniki, Thessaloniki, and Corinth, as you can see in yellow and green. Now, Paul's ministry, just to give you a bit of perspective, lasted for around 32 to 35 years across three separate missionary journeys, which, um, you know, he helped to establish a lot of churches. But to say Paul's ministry was difficult would be an understatement. Um, Paul experienced many shipwrecks when traveling across the Mediterranean Sea. Um, he faced intense oppositions in some areas he went to where he had been stoned, flogged, whipped, been in danger from robbers um, both on land and on sea. And he faced persecution from both Gentiles as well as false teachers. You know, many a time he had to flee from one city to another. And Paul was in prison three times, as we've learned in the Bible. And I'll try to illustrate that through the prison icon. You know, the first time he was imprisoned in Philippi. Second time was between and across Jerusalem and Rome. And it was actually during this, this imprisonment that he wrote the book of Philippines. And third time, of course, in Rome as well. He faced the possible, yeah, possibility of execution. And one more fact is, do you know that Paul was almost 47 years old when he embarked on his third and final missionary journey? 47 years old. Imagine leaving your hometown at that age and having experienced the danger of the two journeys we were on, Paul wouldn't have known whether he would go back to his hometown. 
And as we know, he didn't because he was eventually killed, executed, beheaded in Rome during his third imprisonment for his faith in Jesus. Now, why, why am I saying all these things about Paul? If this was a man that had no purpose, had no perseverance, drive and tenacity, why would he choose time and time again to put himself through effectively 30 years of hardship? And remember that Paul was writing this letter when he was in prison in Rome. And, and this wasn't the first time he was in prison. You know, a man that said, I have learned to be content, was the same man that put himself in harm's way. I think we can all agree from Paul's life that, la- that being content is not the same as being complacent because his life was far from being complacent. Of course, not all of us sitting here are called to be a missionary like Paul, but all of us as followers of Christ are called to be part of God's mission, right? So using Paul as an example, there are three things that I have learned and keep and continue to learn about how to exercise contentment but not be complacent in doing so. And I really hope that this will also be helpful to you as you continue your journey with God. Now the first point is, it doesn't matter so much what you are striving for, but who you are striving it for. Paul's relentless drive and undying perseverance was anchored on the fact and on the calling that he received from God. You know, we can definitely say, and just like we did, how hard he worked, how much drive and motivation he had in doing what he was doing. But what really mattered in the end for him and was the foundation of all that he did is who he did this for, and that is for God. You know, I look out here in this room and I can see we are all in different stages, different situations in life. You know, there are those that are still studying, those that have just started your career, those that are single, those that are married or have kids, or those that are full-time parents. You know, with all the responsibility that we all have, and I'm sure there are a lot of them, don't get me wrong, can I ask you this question? What is the purpose behind what you're doing? It's okay to have desires. And God wants us to ask him. You know, in chapter 4, verse 6, and I read it out again, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God wants us to bring our desires to Him. Don't worry about whether it is important to God or not, whether you think it's important to God or not. God wants to hear from you, so bring it to Him. But I do want to say this, though. It matters why you're asking and the purpose behind it. 
you know, you know, one of the most misquoted and misunderstood verses that is often taken out of context in the Bible is actually in Philippians 4 here in verse 13, when Paul writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, there are many people that take this verse and make it like a personal motivational quote for them. They're saying, you know, I can do absolutely everything, anything I want through Christ. You know, I can have this, you know, I can have that. As long as I ask for God, He will give it to me. You know, it says right here by Paul. But no, this is not what Paul is saying at all. I hope that you hear me on this. You know, Paul is saying that, saying this in the context of what he was doing for God and what he was facing, which was the suffering, the persecution and hardship because of his work for God. It wasn't about wanting things for himself, but rather he was saying that even though, even though I am where I am at because of you, Lord, I am still content. You know, when you reflect on this verse, I want you to remember this. This verse isn't about your ambitions for yourselves. But this, ambition, this, this verse is about God's ambitions for you. You know, not that I think Paul would have loved to put himself in these situations over 30 years, just purely for himself. But it really does matter why we are asking and the purpose behind it. So if we keep this in mind, right, the question then isn't really about how much is too much before I become discontent or how little is too little before I'm considered lazy and complacent. But rather, it is this question, which is a question that concerns about your heart, and that is, how can I glorify God in whatever that I pursue? It's not a quantitative question, but it's a qualitative question. Now, to the second point, give your absolute best in everything you do. God is a God that values hard work. You know, one of the gifts that I believe I, I have been given by God is uh, the gift of musical talents. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful, I'm so blessed that we have a very blessed team in the church where, um, you know, we, we are skilled from God to serve the church and serve Him, serve him well. But one of the things that I remember very clearly when I first joined the worship team is that Pastor James was very strict in a good way, <laughs> good way, to making sure our team always strive for excellence and diligence. It doesn't matter whether you're paid or not. It doesn't matter whether people see you doing it or not. But your heart to do everything diligently and in excellence matters to God. Some of you may know this. Um, there's a, a parable, a story in the Bible that's called Parable of the Talents. And if you're interested in reading this a bit more, um, it's in Matthew's chapter 25. But I'll give you a short summary here. So a master, there was a master that had three servants, and he was going away. 
So he wanted to entrust his property to his three servants. So for the first servant, he gave five talents. And for simplicity's sake, let's just say they're five coins. For the second servant, he gave two talents. And the third and final servant, he gave one talent. Now, so the master went away. And after some time, he came back. And he was keen to go back to his servants and see what you have done with the talents, the property that I entrusted you with. So the first servant that was given five talents went out to trade and made five talents more. The second servant, which was given two talents, also went out to trade and made two talents more. Now the third and final servant decided to save it up, you know, dug a hole in the ground, put the talent in the ground, fear of losing it, and just dug it back up and then presented that same talent that the master gave him at the beginning. Now the master was very pleased with the two, the first two servants, but to the third servant, he said, you wicked and slothful servant, meaning lazy servant. You know, the point of the parable is not so much about that you will make 100% return of what you put in, though, you know, I think you wouldn't hurt to know what they actually did. I would love to have 100% return on my investments. But, you know, but the, the point of the parable is that it is God's expectation for us to work hard to pursue excellence and diligence. That is the point of the parable. You know, again, when I look out here, I do see a room full of incredibly talented individuals in your own right, in your own spheres of life, in you know, areas of life. There are specific gifts and talents that God has given you. And there are people in your sphere of circle or influence of, circle of influence that God has specifically put those people in your life. It doesn't matter whether it's work-related or non-work-related. These are the people that only you can access. Do you know that? You know, KK, June, Ellen, Jennifer, Will and Tammy, you guys work in education. neither, Neither I or most of us here will have the opportunity to have the interactions like you do with the young kids or the young adults. You know, AB, Daniel, Queenie, Min, two Genesis, Quen and Rachel. You guys work in health. I know most of us will have the opportunity to be at the forefront to help those that are in need in that way. I can say this and the list goes on and on and on, but I hope you are getting what I'm trying to say here. Use your gifts and talents, whatever you do. You know, similarly, as a church, um, we are run by many volunteers um, that are so sacrificially give their time, their gifts and talents. You know, we are, I think we are starting our ministry sign-up process for this year. Um, and during these few weeks, I really do want to encourage you to have a think about how you can use the gifts, the talents that God has given you to serve the church as well. Don't underestimate what you have. God wants you to be faithful. You know, so you know, if contentment is 
being satisfied with what God has given us, then I want you to have a think about this. Not just today, but as you journey on your life with Christ. What are you doing with what God has given you? Now to my you know, third, and fi- third and final point, strive and be diligent, but trust God with the outcome. There is a Chinese idiom um, or a prophet um, that is called the frog in the well. Um, some of you may know this, but the story goes, there is a frog that lives at the bottom of the well, very happily. You know. The frog is very familiar with his surroundings. But when he looks up, he sees a circle, a circle that points towards the sky. Now a turtle comes along, and the turtle says to the frog, how great this world is, how deep is the ocean, how blue is the ocean out there. Now, the frog doesn't really understand, nor can he comprehend what the turtle is saying. Because all he has never known is the well he lives in. I think this is like us. We work hard. We strive to achieve. We want to be diligent in our responsibilities. We go and present to God our desires. We try to align our desires to God's ambitions for us. You know, maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's reconnection or maybe it's love. And of course, when we strive to do that well, we have in our mind an expected outcome. We want this to work out. But as much as we try, we know that we do not have the bigger picture like God. You know, I'm not saying God is a turtle here. Um, it's not an exact analogy, but hopefully you know what I mean. Now, when we don't get what we strive for, we get disappointed. We are anxious. Exactly what verse 6 was saying there. You know, for me, even writing this sermon, when I was preparing this sermon, I wanted to be diligent. I want to prepare well to give God what He has given me to be faithful to His Word. You know, I want to convey the message well. But I've also spent a lot of time um, being worried about, you know, what, what if I can't articulate this message well? What if the message doesn't resonate with you guys? What if I don't do God's Word justice? I mean, we're not powerful like that, but in the end, it's God's Word, right? But I, I have been encouraged by how this has been put. And I hope that this encourages, encourages you as well. So some 2,000 years ago, a man was born in Bethlehem. He was not born in riches, but rather took the form of a servant, humbling himself in front of humanity. He was said to be blameless, and one who committed no sin. Throughout 
around three years of ministry, this man had one mission. And that mission was to declare hope to the world that was otherwise lost. That hope is the restoration of God's relationship with his people, with humanity. At the end of his ministry, that man submitted to the will of God, of his own father, bore our sins in his body on the cross. Sins that were not of his, but all of ours. You know, the earth shook. He took his last breath. He died. But he rose again three days later. And that man's name is Jesus. You know, we, we think a lot about our needs. And that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But do you know, do you know what is our greatest need? It's the need for salvation. At humanity's greatest moment of need, the need for salvation, Jesus met our need by dying on the cross for us. Now, Romans 8, 32 says, He, being God, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32 There is no greater need for us in life, guys, than, than the need for hope. The hope that we needed and the hope that we now have through Jesus Christ. And if God has met our greatest need, which was our need for salvation, can God meet your other needs as well? Absolutely. Yes, he can. Trust God in the outcome. So um, I want to end with this, and um, maybe the worship team can come up. The book of Philippians isn't a statement on how much or how little you strive. That is the marker of contentment. But instead, it is a statement on the fact that true contentment can only be found when we look towards Jesus. Completely in, you know, in understanding that who we live for, who we're striving for, in completely understanding that God desires for us to strive and work diligently and in excellence in all that we do, and also in understanding that God is trustworthy in the outcome of our striving. And Paul says in chapter 4, verse 11, and I'll read it out again. Therefore, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, even Paul, being the incredibly faithful servant that he was to God, had to learn the secret of contentment. Contentment is not something we are born with that some have or some don't. But instead, contentment is something that we have to and want to choose to learn. 
You know how I said at the beginning, my marriage, even though you know it's still early stages, is not just one big decision that I make on the day of my wedding, but instead it's a series of daily decisions that I make to want to stay committed to my wife Eileen. And in much the same way, being content is also a conscious decision that we make and want to work on it every single day. Now don't, don't be discouraged if you think you're not there yet. Don't be discouraged if you think, Lord, there, there are desires in my heart where I don't know whether they are for, for you or, for, or from you. Don't be because none of us are. We're all on the same journey. Um, so I'll leave you with you know, this question. Do you want to learn to be content like Paul did? Amen. Let's pray.